0: you're listening to the eyes on conservation podcast episode eight Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. On today's episode of the show, we're talking with Greg Kaltenecker. Greg is the executive director of the Intermountain Bird Observatory, a Boise based nonprofit organization that is dedicated to both bird research and education and public outreach programs related to birds. Intermountain Bird Observatory was our very first partner organization with the Eyes on Conservation Series. So we actually started shooting for the EOC doc about the IBO bird migration research site up at Lucky Peak way back in the fall of 2011. And in a lot of ways, this first project really shaped the direction uh, that the series ended up going in. The Intermountain Bird Observatory, as you'll hear in this interview, puts a lot of emphasis on education and outreach programs that run alongside their research programs, and I think they found a balance here in which their research component informs the education component and vice versa, which is very neat. Uh, This balance between research and education is something that we focused on in a number of of our EOC videos since then and I am extremely grateful to Greg and all the other folks at IBO for being so willing to work with us during the infancy, in, infancy of this project. That said, the folks at IBO have been up to a lot since we last interviewed them three years back for that video. Uh, Greg's got some exciting updates on some of their new projects, so let's jump right into that interview. I'm here with Greg Kaltenecker, who is the Executive Director of the Intermountain Bird Observatory. We're actually here in the Intermountain Bird Observatory office in a little impromptu radio studio that I set up here uh, right next to Greg's office. Uh, How are you doing today, Greg?
1: Great, great. Thanks, Matt, for inviting me to do this.
0: Yeah, you bet. You bet. So the first thing I kind of want to just get a perspective on here, is, is what the mission of the Intermountain
1: Bird Observatory is. Sure. I'll kind of paraphrase our mission, okay? It's basically to contribute to the conservation of migratory birds through a, a kind of a unique combination of doing research and environmental education and outreach. We, uh, we really strive at every step of the way, or every, every chance we can, to involve the public and uh, you know, conduct education and outreach, and really provide um, kind of a unique experience in nature for the the public, especially especially children.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And yeah, we, uh, you know, those of us at Wild Lens, um, the, the video that we produced about uh, the work that Intermountain Bird Observatory does, but that was actually one of the very first uh, videos that we produce that has become a part of this eyes on conservation short documentary series that, that we produce um I, I think actually that that uh short video we did was the very first video we produced that's become a part of that series so um so we spent a lot of time uh, uh working with uh IDO intermountain bird observatory um, spent a lot of time up at your lucky peak migration site and it's. It's just amazing what's going on up there, and how you guys are integrating the research and the education components, and how well meshed together they are. Um, it's, it's, it's really a fantastic um, program that you guys are doing. And obviously, you guys are doing more than just um, the Lucky Peak migration work, but um, that, that was sort of our focus in the video, and um, it's, it's a, a great spot to visit up there um, for folks who live in the Boise area.
1: Well, thank you Matthew, thank you for that and uh, thank you for producing that video it's, it was really well done and I thought you know, perfectly reflected what what we're all about and what, we're, what we do up there, both in terms of the research and the education Thanks, nice,
0: thanks. Nice. So um, my next question here is, I'm just curious to know uh, a bit about um, sort of the story of how IBO was founded um, what was Sort of how and why
1: was the and sort of the inspiration for sure. the founding of the organization? Sure, yeah. it it started over 20 years ago. I think it was 1992 or 1993, uh, back when I was a graduate student at Boise State in the Raptor Research Program. Uh, I was uh, sort of finishing up my studies on wintering bald eagles, and we took on as a class project in. the was the raptor ecology course that me and several other students had to try and find a raptor migration site somewhere in southern Idaho. And about 10 of us students designed a project to look at several different mountain ranges and different peaks all over the southern part of of Idaho. And we ended up finding, you know, the greatest number and best diversity of migrating raptors right here on the Boise Ridge, right outside of Boise. So in the beginning that's all we really wanted to do was find a place where we could view and maybe trap migrating raptors as as part of the uh you know maybe try and integrate it into the raptor research program to to let students gain more experience you know in raptor identification and hands-on hands-on work with raptors but we soon soon discovered you know right away that uh that the site had very good numbers of migrating raptors, you know, worthy of setting up a long-term migration monitoring
0: site. So, so we did. Yeah. Fantastic, and yeah, I mean that that is uh, that project is still ongoing today, twenty mm-hmm. years later, um, and it's sort of become the backbone of uh, this nonprofit organization, the Intermountain Mountain Bird Observatory. Um, so, this Lucky Peak migration site. Um, I mean, I guess you sort of explained, you know, why it's a special place um, for migratory birds, um, but what makes this, this research, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you sort of recognized the importance of this one spot for migratory birds and decided it was worthy of this long-term uh, migration research program, um, but what is it that's so important about uh, the research project itself and the data that you have?
1: Well, I think it's important to collect long-term monitoring data on bird migration because many most of the actually all of the birds that we're monitoring, they're not uh they're not flocking birds. They're not easy to count or, you know, inventory at other times of the year and really migration is a very short window in their their lifespan that they do become concentrated and that that you can monitor their populations. Otherwise, you really have no idea how many of them there are. There are many efforts out there, uh, Christmas bird count, breeding bird surveys, uh, and they, they do a fair job with some species, you know, but you've got to have geographic coverage um, to, to really make those results meaningful. But migration, on the other hand, is a time of year when you, you really can monitor, you know, Regional, regional scale populations at, at one or you know a few sites, so it's it's very meaningful in terms of understanding long-term population trends, you know the ups and downs of of their populations. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's something that that's something that we talk a lot about in the the, the short film about the lucky peak migration site is just the importance of collecting baseline data. Um, mm. And you know, 20 years ago, uh, you know, you guys probably had no idea what sort of the wide variety of research questions that you would be able to use this data to right. answer. You know, 20, 30 years down the road. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, very neat stuff. So um, the Lucky Peak site started out as as just a raptor migration site. Right?
1: It did, yes.
0: Um, And then sort of over the years, you built up this uh, songbird uh, monitoring and owl banding project. Um, How did those other two components, uh, how were they sort of uh, initiated?
1: Well, we we noticed right away, you know, in the first few years that we had crews staying at Lucky Peak during the fall season, that uh, there was a great... A great abundance and you know diversity of songbirds at the site and a and a fairly regular turnover, so that one day there might be you know a bunch of uh, one species there and a few days later they'd be gone and be replaced by some other species and so we got this idea that uh, in addition to the raptors that the same you know the same geography and habitat conditions might be also concentrating other types of birds and so we started a mist netting program for songbirds, I think, during our fourth or fifth season on the peak, and that was very successful. You know, our capture rates were high, our, the, the diversity of species was very great. I think we caught over 60 species the first season, so, um, so it was very successful. We also noticed at night, because our crews were camping up there, we could hear these small forest owls um, during the migration period, you know, calling back and forth in trees. And we had an idea um, oh, fairly early on. We started, we started uh, experimenting with trying to trap the, the owls. And again, proved to be very successful and, you know, successful enough that it warranted starting a long-term monitoring study of those species as well.
0: Very neat, very neat. So... I'm wondering if maybe you can give me uh, a few examples of um, some of the research that has come out of these long-term data sets that you guys have been collecting over the past twenty years.
1: Yeah, you bet. Um, I think uh, most most recently we've been looking at how climate change um, affects these the the various the different species and by. You know by group of, of birds, as well, how it affects their timing migration timing um, and, uh, and other factors like that. We've also looked at how, how weather on a regional and a local scale both affect the timing of migration and the, um, uh, the kind of the daily ebb and flow of migration at the site. But we've also collaborated with researchers from other sites throughout the West and combined data sets to look at um, population trends you know, over a regional scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, about well, four or five years ago, we did that, that very thing with our raptor count data. Mm-hmm. We combined our, our uh, HawkWatch data with about 10 other sites from the West, mm-hmm. and for the first time ever, really looked at population trends on a regional scale. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are a few examples.
0: Sure. Okay, so before we sort of jump into uh, some of the other research programs that um, IBO is involved with, um, let's chat for a bit about the the education side of what's going on um, up at the Lucky Key migration site. Um, and you know, we've talked about the importance of this long-term data set um, up there. Uh, but you know, when I go up there, you know, the the, the time that I spend up there you know, sort of the most obvious and immediate impact that you can see is you know, that there's, there's always groups of people up there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's always lots of people up there and there's always people who are just really obviously um, excited and energized at the opportunity to see a bird up close in the field, you know? Um, and, uh, I mean, that's what really stands out to me um, from the time that I've spent up there. Um, and I guess I'm wondering... How the educational components um, of this uh, migration research site uh, was sort of has sort of de- been developed over time
1: um, yeah. yeah, you bet well it's a I think you hit the nail right on the head it's a great opportunity for watchable wildlife viewing, and that's what really sucks the public in and you know grabs their interest because they do have the opportunity to see you know, many, many birds of many different different kinds and ages and sexes. I mean, a great, great variety of birds up close and in the hand. You know, we trap sixty seven thousand to 7,000 birds and, ban, you know, band them each year. Um, and so, so we, we really pride ourselves on providing that kind of experience for the public, kind of a one in a, you know, chance of a lifetime opportunity in nature and, you uh, the other thing is it's it's natural, you know it's fairly natural it's it's not a nature center, it's not a you know it's not artificial it's it's really out there in nature. These are wild birds we're you know we're trapping them for our research for a very brief period, and the public gets to look through that window and see that you know see that in action and uh, and that's what really captivates their attention, and that I think provides a great learning environment for us to weave in concepts of conservation and, uh, you know, importance of habitats and and things like that to birds. I mean, and and we don't preach that stuff, but uh, like I said, it's a great opportunity to weave those concepts in and have them them be assimilated by the visitors and the kids just by nature of being there and being part of that experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I just love that you guys are so inviting to mm-hmm. the general public up there, and you know, I've heard you guys tell stories about people who didn't even realize that there was a research site up there, and they just happen to wander through, and they end up getting hooked on um, on birds, you know, and bird migration, and, and just love it, and get really involved in it, which I think is fantastic. Um, and it just seems like a really neat thing to be sort of you know so involved in, in, in both you know both the research and the education. And I, I actually my, my very first. Um, job as a young uh, aspiring uh, field biologist was at a banding station, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's so funny the attitude that we had at that banding station that I was working at. I mean, it was very close to uh, a hiking trail, um, but we had sort of intentionally hidden the banding station so that you know the tourists who came through there couldn't see it because we just didn't we didn't want to deal with
1: you know we felt like it was too much
0: to deal with you know, the, dealing with the public in addition to collecting the data that we were doing. Um, and that's just sort of the way that that, that site was run. Yeah. Um, and I think there, there's such a, a great benefit um, to inviting mm-hmm. the public to see, you know, and observe the research that's going on. So I, it's, um, it's a fantastic program. And, and anyone in the Boise area who hasn't had a chance to get up there yet should definitely uh, find the opportunity to do that.
1: They should. Next they should. Follow-up. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a real common attitude at a lot of research sites where the, you know, the researchers think that their work is most important. And, but we've always felt from the very beginning that our, the results of our research you know, really are kind of meaningless unless the general public know about them and understand them and understand the significance of them. So, uh, so we've always married research and education hand in hand. I think it's they each, you know, they they are each equally important. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um so I do want to sort of I do want to talk a little bit about some of the uh some of the other research projects that Intermountain Bird Observatory has going on aside from um these uh migration count sites. Um uh, so, when did you guys first start, sort of, start branching out, expanding beyond um, these, uh, uh, the migration research? Component mm-hmm. of
1: what does? Quite a while ago, uh, you know. Kind of in the beginning, mm-hmm. we we started to become useful to uh, you know various local agencies, land management agencies, as a resource for conducting surveying, monitoring. Inventorying of uh, of birds, you know, mm-hmm. mostly migratory birds, mm-hmm. but that program has really grown in the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, we've really made a name for ourselves, I think, and uh, established a uh, you know a track record in terms of being a great resource for collecting any kind of any kind of data or conducting research on on migratory birds on public or private lands. So. That program has expanded quite a bit. We're, we're now including, oh, uh, well, right now we have projects on uh, breeding long-billed curlews, not just in the local area but throughout the Intermountain region, uh, Montana, Wyoming, hopefully uh, hopefully Utah too, I believe. But uh, we also study northern goshawks. Uh, that's a forest service they call it a management indicator species. We've been doing that for several years right here in Idaho on the Sawtooth National Forest, monitoring nest occupancy and success, and actually building upon that with um, uh, graduate studies and, and you know building other components into that project. So uh, those are just a couple of examples of the other projects we have going on in the state.
0: Fantastic! Yeah, and. The, um... I I just want to sort of touch on the the long-billed curlew research that that you mentioned. Um, I I had the opportunity to to get out um, with uh, a crew from IBO for um, to track one of the long-billed curlews that that was a part of your study last year and get the opportunity to to kind of observe the process of attaching the the backpack radio transmitter on there and see the bird up close in the hand. Um, And man, what what a bizarre looking creature that animal is. They are, <laughs> they are. I just can't, you know, and it and it seems so out of place, you know, uh, out here uh, in this, you know, sort of uh, Great Basin desert landscape right. to see right. this a... shorebird with this bill, you know, twice, you know, longer than its body. Um, what sort? Of, I guess you know what um, was there something specific that sort of inspired you guys to to latch onto that? in
1: particular as a study speaking. yeah we started uh, close to ten years ago now um, monitoring again for a yeah. uh, local land management agency the Bureau of Land management we started monitoring a local population of of these birds and found out quickly that their uh, their breeding population had declined you know fifty or more percent and so that uh, that kind of sparked questions and, and more study from us and expansion of the project to look kind of more regionally at what's going on with Longville curlews in, in this, you know, in this region. So there, uh, you know, it turns out there are a, a species that really aren't doing well, um, you know, in the, the region. They're declining for, for various reasons. I think we're still trying to flesh out exactly what all those reasons are. But, um, you know, again, like, like you say, it's a, very bizarre-looking bird, but but a bird that I think the public can relate to. And we've just received some some grant monies to really, again, marry our education program with that research program and start kind of on a small scale in local communities to try and uh, educate the communities about that species and about the perils of that species and why it's declining in hopes that... um, you know, that perhaps some attitudes and some practices, you know, can change that will benefit the, the curlews and, and increase their breeding success in the future.
0: Right, right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and good to hear that you guys are involved in, in sort of a uh, uh, education component, component mm-hmm. as well as a research component. Um, and, yeah, I'll definitely we, we've got um, a, a neat clip of that long-billed curlew that, that I mentioned um, being released which I'll I'll definitely link up in the show notes. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about, and this is something that we sort of touched on um, back when we shot uh, the the interviews for that uh, IDO video, um, which we'll also have linked to this episode here. Um, But at that point, and this was a few years back, um, you guys had just sort of, uh, uh, I guess, Entered talks about acquiring this piece of property along the Boise River um, to utilize, I think, is both a, both a research and an education center to sort of expand um, this uh, migratory banding uh, program that you have going up at UPT. Um, so, what what's the status of this project now?
1: Sure. Well, I'm happy to say that just within the last couple of months, the university has actually closed on. The property that, that we had discussed a few years ago, it took, it took over a year of negotiations with uh, you know, between our legal department and the, the sellers, and but we finally did it, and um, we finally owned that property. Another exciting development on that front is we've just recently uh, brought on a new staff member to IBO and hired a full-time education director, um, and that's Heidi Ware. That's going to be one of her main job duties is to start building partnerships with, within the local community and actually using that property for education and building a research program close, you know, similar to what we have up at Lucky Peak. And this, this property is just perfect for, uh, for this type of work. You know, on migratory birds, it's along a bird migration corridor. There are great, uh, there's a great diversity of birds that breed there and spend the winter. It's accessible year-round. You know, accessible to school buses, so we can build year-round programming to sort of take advantage of those natural resources and and bring in the local kids. We're we're hoping and expecting to, uh, you know, go from about reaching maybe two to 20, two thousand to twenty-five hundred. Folks each year up at Lucky Peak uh, to more than ten thousand a year at this new site because of its accessibility, its year-round accessibility. So we're very excited and still just in the baby stages of uh, of kind of building this program. But you wait and see; (laughs) four or five years, it'll it'll be a fantastic resource for the community.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's yeah it's. Definitely definitely an uh, exciting time for you guys, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, and it is, um, it's, it is a super neat spot along the Boise River. Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's a spot that I've uh, spent some time hiking through, and um, it
1: took me a while to realize, you know, it was just recently that I re- actually realized, like, oh, this is
0: the area, this is the spot that, um, that you guys have been working to acquire um, to, to implement this project, and yeah, it's just
1: a great spot very close to,
0: um, to to Boise. So like you said, there's it just dramatically expands the education opportunity. Yeah. Um, for sure. Great. Well that's that's about all I had for you here, Greg. But um yeah, it's great to it's great to catch up with you and uh sort of get an update on um, all the projects that you guys have have going on. Um, you know, especially since, you know, like I said at the beginning, um, that video that we produced uh, uh, in collaboration with, with you guys, um, it, it was the sort of the, the first, our first foray into these uh, sort of uh, shorter um, documentary videos, which we sort of later, um, you know, dubbed as our Eyes on Conservation series, but that was sort of, you know, um, that video was sort of the seed, you know, that sort of inspired us to... Continue telling these stories in, in, in that format, um, sort of focusing on local nonprofits and, uh, and groups that are involved in both education and research.
1: Like and so, yeah. It's Thanks. You did a great job, and thank you for your continued interest in, an, in the IBO and your continued interest in you know getting the word out about IBO can only help. You know, can only help us a lot. Thank you. Yeah.
0: You bet. With you, usual. All right, that was our interview with Greg Kaltenecker from the Intermountain Bird Observatory. We touched on a lot of neat stuff in that interview, including IBO's recent project working with the long-billed curlew, a fascinating and bizarre-looking bird species. As I mentioned in the interview, I was able to observe and shoot some footage of the IBO crew trapping and attaching a transmitter to one of the curlews in that study. So be sure to check out the show notes where we'll have a link to some of that Curlew footage. And, of course, I can't can't sign off before saying just one more time how special IBO's research site up at Lucky Peak really is. If you live in the Boise area and you haven't been up there to visit during the fall migration season, uh, this is something you absolutely must do. It's an amazing opportunity to see these birds up close um, and to actually have the opportunity to hold them in your hand and release them after the crew has put on the bands and taken all of their measurements. Of course, fall migration season for this year has just ended, but you can check out our video about the Lucky Peak migration site, um, which we'll be re-releasing as a part of our companion Eyes on Conservation video podcast. So if you haven't seen the film yet, be sure to check that out and subscribe to that uh, companion video podcast. Um, and as usual, we'll have all kinds of relevant links to the research and education programs run by IBO uh, up on the show notes. Uh, you can find those show notes at wildlensinc.org slash blog slash E-O-C-8. That's wildlensinc.org slash blog slash E-O-C-8. Now, next month on the podcast... We'll have a very special episode to start off the new year. We'll be releasing our short film about conservation of the greater sage-grouse. This film has been a long time in the making, and we're very excited uh, for it to finally get released. Sage-grouse conservation is a very controversial topic right now, largely due to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's decision to preclude the species from listing on the endangered species list Back in 2010 2015, however, is the year That the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Will take another look at this species And many believe that it will Finally get listed on the ESA So we thought that it was appropriate To start off the new year with our film About this emblematic bird Of the Great Basin Desert so i sure hope everyone who's listening now will tune in next month we ha- will have extended interviews here on the podcast with sage grouse experts and if you subscribe via itunes or your pod catcher of choice that next episode will automatically download to your phone or tablet which is pretty neat so thanks again for joining us this is your host matt podolsky signing off